Does Monday at the office feel like a storm? Not with Microsoft Copilot. That feeling when Copilot gets everyone up to speed instantly? It's sunny again. When Copilot simplifies complex data so your teams can act, that sun's shining on a beach. And when Copilot uncovers hidden insights, you're on that beach with your people and you find buried treasure. That's Microsoft Copilot. Learn more at Microsoft.com slash AI for all. We got this really crazy story about uh, this guy named the Merchant of Death, an arms dealer who was, who was released um, uh, in, in this trade and exchange. And I guess he, he's claiming he sent a message to Donald Trump that, I'll, I'll keep it very light, the Biden administration would prefer to make it so that he's no longer alive before they let him get in their way. You know, say, I'm, I'm being very, very delicate with the description of this story. And so we're going to talk about that because that's going to lead us into a lot of conversations around foreign intervention, war, economic policy, and uh, some cultural issues. There's some, I don't know, some weird actor guy. Is that what he was? Luke, he was a weird actor yeah, guy? Yeah, yeah, yeah. He was talking about actor. musician talking about exterminating Republicans. So all of this talk that we've seen is actually uh, quite worrying. And then there's this crazy story about one of the Democrats who was expelled in Tennessee, who, uh, well, there's a video of him from a few years ago where he's a middle-of-the-road centrist, and then when you look at videos of him today, he's doing this preacher bit and everyone's saying he's basically grifting. It's either that or we have completely hyperpolarized rapidly. And with talk of you know people saying things like exterminating Republicans, yeah, maybe things are getting just a little bit hyperpolarized. Before we get started, my friends, head over to castbrewcoffee.com. This is our coffee brand that uh, we launched, and I guess it doesn't appear on the screen properly, but it doesn't matter. And uh, check it out. If you, you can pre-order yours today. We've officially launched. It's in production, and you can pick up my favorite Rise with Roberto Jr. Uh, breakfast blend. It's a light roast, and plus our Appalachian Nights. And we've got more products coming, but for the time being, this is uh, uh, just preliminary. We're sponsoring ourselves. We don't want to get canceled. Then we want to start building companies. So, of course, we're putting together a... Uh, coffee shop as well as as uh, selling coffee and head over to timcast.com click join us to become a member because we're gonna have a members only uncensored show coming up for you tonight at about 10 10 p.m eastern time and for those that have been members for at least six months or those who joined at the 25 dollars per month level you get instant access to our vip voice chat it's basically a screening process and then you can submit questions and even call into the show. And yes, we have it working tonight. So you can call in, ask us questions. And I think this one is going to be a very special episode. So smash that like button, subscribe to this channel, share the show with your friends and share it right now because this one is going to be one for the ages. Because joining us tonight is the legendary Dr. Ron Paul. Very nice. Nice to be with you tonight. Uh, it is an absolute honor. I've been uh, following you for maybe half my life. I remember back in 2008, you lit a fire under so many young people with the uh, talk of freedom, anti-intervention, sound economic policy. I had friends who were making music videos based off your ideas that were conveying similar messages and, and arguing on the internet. So uh, it absolutely is an honor, especially considering any everything that's uh, going on right now. Would you like to just introduce yourself for everybody? <laughs> well, it it's an issue that has caught my attention a long time ago because I 
came across this school of thought in economics called the Austrian School of Economics. And it fascinated me. I was practicing medicine. I was studying medicine. I was a resident and got through there. But that was my hobby, was trying to understand how the economic system worked. And, uh, and I found out that in the 1960s, uh, there were a lot of people who were predicting, you know, this idiocy of the Bretton Woods Agreement, the pseudo-gold standard that was set up at the end of World War II. Even back then, Henry Hazlitt said it's stupid it don't do it it doesn't work and so the predictions were going and the 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 black market the real market of gold it was fixed the do, the dollar was fixed at $35 an ounce that was official but we had most of the gold so we had license to steal by just printing money and handing out the money and that uh, that that made it easy for the predictions it's not going to last we can see it it's sort of like today we're talking about when's the dollar going to end well back then it was was when was the dollar going to be an honest currency and uh, and, and 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 be backed by gold? Well, they had already uh, declared bankruptcy in 1934 because they stole all the gold. Roosevelt stole all the gold from the American people, <laughs> and uh, so that was a bankruptcy. They they promised they'd always give us $35 for paper. And the amazing thing is, is people said, "Oh, okay, that's fine, just so I can." get my goods, goodies and the money works to a degree. So they patched that together, but they never they never gave the gold back to, to the people. And uh, that that is what led me into it. And when the crash of the dollar came in 1971 is when I thought I want to speak out on it. And a vehicle was the political system. And then you ended up, uh, how many terms did you serve in Congress? I'd have to go and count them again. About 23 years. But wow. there, I was in three different times, yeah. you know. Uh, so it, uh, it led to more. But I, I really, I had no desire. I never had a goal of, you know, this is a good deal. I think I have an opportunity. I think I could become a congressman. Never once did that ever cross my mind because I remember so clearly when I talked to my wife and I was at a very nice medical practice and loved medicine, loved delivering babies. That might seem strange, but I did. I loved delivering babies. And so uh, when I told her, uh, she said, what in the world would you do that for? And I said, I tried to explain to her what I just said, you know, it's an important issue and that's sort of something that I've looked after and I want to speak out. She said, you shouldn't do it. It's very dangerous. Dangerous. It, she was not into conspiracy. She didn't know anything about that stuff. But she said it was dangerous, and it turned out that she was right because she says it's dangerous because you're going to probably get elected and and mix up our lives. And so I didn't expect to. Uh, I thought it was just a speaking opportunity, and that's the way it was for a long time. I was there for six years and decided I wanted to go back to medicine. I still had kids to go through college. And uh, then as time went on, uh, and the conditions didn't get much better so I, I ran for congress again you know in 1995 and went back back into the congress but uh but she she was right and i was wrong and 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 even uh the people who suggested oh yeah i got interested in what you were talking about you know when you ran for president in 2007 and 2008 and 2012 and believe me i i i didn't i, I didn't anticipate that there would be people like maybe in this room that thought, well, you know, that sounds interesting stuff, you yeah. know. And so I was fascinated. Went, wow. And then I had this uh, revelation that, that when I went to the college campuses, that 
young people were more open-minded when with than old people. <laughs> I decided chamber of commerces weren't offering us free enterprise, so the young people were responding very well. Matter of fact, the one the one event that I remember so clearly was uh, when we went to Berkeley. I think I think Berkeley was considered liberal, wasn't it? That's the way that was. A little bit liberal, but that was my biggest crowd. I had eight thousand young people wow. come out, and I thought, there's something it, because I knew I wasn't that. Great a speaker so i said that is a great message you know what people want to know and young people want to know and i would emphasize that this is what you're getting into and so i changed my attitude no not every young person in college and liberal college are all of a sudden going to have uh, you know great wisdom but there was a group there that was uh you know open-minded enough that if they heard something if it was interesting that they would grab hold of it and so since that time i would say that i have been impressed uh, with uh, the, the interest that has been shown. And that to me is the most important thing. Minds have to be changed, and that's what I hope I can contribute to. You've certainly done it for, I think, everybody here. So thank you for joining us. And there's so there's a million and one questions I already have, but we'll, 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 get, get, we'll introduce the other guests. Well, we got Daniel McAdams joining us. Hey, Tim, thanks for having me on. Uh, yeah, do you want to introduce yourself to everybody? Yeah, I, I went to work for Dr. Paul in 2001. I was living in Central Europe as the U.S. was about to bomb Yugoslavia, and I noticed that there was one great congressman who said, this is the stupidest idea ever. What the heck are we doing bombing Yugoslavia for? And I had spent some time down there, and I knew that this was the stupidest thing. So when I finally got back to D.C., just by luck, I guess, um, I found there was one person I didn't, I never set out to work in Congress at all, but I wanted to work for this person who was, who got it. Uh, and so I was very, very fortunate to have started working for him in 2001. And we went all the way through his last time in Congress and we started the Ron Paul Institute in 2013. So we, this is our 10th year, our 10th anniversary as the Ron Paul Institute. We focus on foreign policy and civil liberties almost exclusively. Sounds great, awesome. Thanks for joining us. Thank Ian's you. sitting right next to uh, Daniel over here. Hi everyone, great to be here. Good to see you, Ron. Daniel, great to meet you, man. And you guys brought up uh, the Restrict Act and actually mentioned something that I've been talking about, calling it the Patriot Act 2.0. Yeah. Thank you. That was great. That was so, great. You nailed it. Thank you, sir. And we also have uh, Luke Rudkowski. Yep. Everyone in the chat room is saying, and the Fed, which is pretty awesome. Uh, my name is Luke Rudkowski of WeAreChange.org. I'm really excited to ask Ron about his time machine. Uh, we're going to find about that, plus a lot more on the show. The shirt that I'm wearing right now says, I identify as a conspiracy theorist. My pronouns are told you so, which you could get on the bestpoliticalshirts.com and I'm doing a in real life meetup this Thursday 3.30 p.m. in Austin find out more about that on lukeunfiltered.com Ron Dr. No thank you so much for coming Dr. No well let's jump into this first story which will kick things off we have this from timcast.com and it says Victor Bout warns Trump of assassination threat from the Biden administration quote they would sooner end your life than let you stand in their way okay Shipping can make or break a sale, so optimize how you ship your orders with ShipStation. They make it easy to automate and manage orders no matter how big your business grows. And they might even be able to help reduce shipping and warehouse costs. So optimize and keep up your momentum for growth with ShipStation. Sign up for your free 60-day trial now at ShipStation.com and use the code P-O-D. That's ShipStation.com with the code P-O-D. I'll just stress... The merchant of death, as they call him, claiming that the Biden administration is even considering this is just hearsay coming from a guy who is an arms dealer 
who is Russian. So I'm not saying we should necessarily trust him. I just think the general idea is interesting that this guy is basically calling on Trump. Here's what he said, quote, therefore, I think it's in the interests of all of humanity and primarily of the American people to invite Donald Trump here to Russia to give him security and protection here so that he leads this uprising against the globalists and most importantly, does not allow the elimination of the American people. I just think it's a particularly bold and, I don't know, kind of creepy story, as it were. But I do think that in this vein, we are, we are staring at the potential for World War III if, if we're not already in it. Russia wants to put nuclear weapons in Belarus. The U.S. is providing arms, intelligence, and, you know, I'll, I'll say this, they're indirectly, the United States indirectly has individuals on the ground, volunteers, who are fighting the Russians. I think that whether or not his sentiment is correct, we are facing some kind of very serious international conflict. So I'm, I'm curious, <laughs> Dr. Paul, your thoughts on everything that's been going on with that? Well, I have made up my mind whether or not when people talk about World War III, and most people uh, think in their mind about World War I and World War II is a certain type of war, tanks and bombs and airplanes and all that. And I can't quite visualize that. I think the world has changed too much. As a matter of fact, politics has changed a whole lot as well. But I, I've concentrated more recently on thinking about how do, how do revolutions come about? Have the changes been made? Have, have we had a World War III to do it? And I'm arguing the case that uh, we're in the middle of it and moving right along that, that the revolution has been fought and uh, it, it is, uh, you know, there's been a coup. The take a, we don't have any resemblance uh, to a government that believes in a republic. We don't have honest money. We don't have integrity. We don't even have people in Washington that even pretends, you know, that you're supposed to tell the truth. You know, remember just recently there was a congressperson that won, and he he won by putting on his resume just a bunch of lies. <laughs> and 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 the, the other ones got hysterical. The other congressman is telling lies like this. And I got to thinking, well, how many of these people that were complaining about this guy telling lies, how many of them lied when they raised their hand up and swore to uphold the Constitution? Now, that's a lie that really has consequences. Actually, you could probably uh, make fun and make a little joke because his jokes weren't, everybody knew he was fibbing, but uh, the real lies are are being told and, and that is our big problem but i do believe there has been a coup and it's been taken over and if i want to if i can i want to just put the date in my mind and you anybody could pick probably any date in the last hundred years but i have picked uh i have picked november 22nd 1963 what happened on that day that was the day kennedy was murdered by our government wow you know by the cia yep. and at the time i remember i was in matter of fact kennedy uh was killed in, uh, in in Dallas, but he landed at Kelly Air Force Base, and I was the flight surgeon there the day before, and I was aware uh, of this tri of this trip. So this this was a a big deep a, a big thing, and th those early years, which we talked about a lot, especially the first year or two. Oh, Oswald did it. Oswald did it, and then <laughs> and, you know the person they. They talk about most is uh, uh, is uh, uh, Alan Dulles as being the instigator of all this, and he uh, guess what? 
to LBJ immediately saying, we have to investigate this. The president has been assassinated. What? What? Is, they never used the word coup. So he's been assassinated. So I guess he puts there were seven on the commission and uh, and uh, Dulles, you know, Dulles was put on the committee to investigate <laughs> it. So, but he was going to make sure they told the truth. It was a big force, but that was a big day in history in my mind. Yeah, that was the beginning of the hostile takeover of the American government well, by the spy agencies that, of course, have been becoming more powerful, less unaccountable by every decade. They've been doing more crazier things and then we came to Iran-Contra. They've been getting away with so many crazy things. They've never never been held accountable and for every decade it's like, oh yes, the last decade the CIA did something really horrible but they, but they were never held accountable for it but they're definitely not doing it now. But, well, they are. But I, I, I thought you were going to say 1913. Well, I think that was the groundwork. I, I, I start the uh, intellectual changes a, a little bit before 1913, probably at the turn of the century, uh, you know, the Roosevelt era. And the university started teaching progressivism, and gradually they destroyed the whole principle of, uh, like, like today in medicine, there's no such thing as truth anymore. And this, is, this society has become nihilistic because they can do anything they want, and they have zero guilt. Uh, they have no shame because uh, they don't believe they don't believe there is such a thing as truth. And uh, even both religious and non-religious people sort of come around to agreeing, you know, a society would do better if one, if they had one rule. <laughs> don't yeah. don't commit violence against anybody else. You know, it, when it isn't that complicated. And basically the Constitution goes along with that. But m- not many people t- take that seriously. And But no, I think uh, 1913 was a consequence of what was happening in the universities. And the universities are still in bad shape. But the real education that is going on now is continuing, uh, especially in economics and, and other things. I mean, there's there's an institute now de- dealing only with non-intervention in foreign policy. And you take a, a group like the Mises Institute, they've done a world of good at teaching young people. And uh, I still rely on them to understand, uh, you know, free market economics. So that is where the real change is. And... Uh, you know, I have, I'm a fan of homeschooling, and homeschooling can be a salvation, too, and I happen to have a little program for that, but that, the private schools, we still, they're still legal. In the 1980s, the early 1980s, there was such an effort to close down every private school conceivable. And, you know, there were court cases that, uh, in spite of how bad things were, they recovered from that. And But I, that doesn't make me complacent to think they won't touch us again in private education because they will. Because when they see that that is, the people who tell on the truth are the real enemies and that's what's going on in politics. Can, can I, uh, I'm curious your thoughts on Donald Trump as a candidate, as a president. Is he running again? Yeah. <laughs> well, I, I, I don't think a lot about it. Uh, I, I think politicians are pretty much irrelevant. Oh, wow. <laughs> you know, uh, they're, they're, they reflect what's going on. And uh, But I, I think the least important thing 
Well, I can't say that every single thing I did was not related to politics because I concentrated on one philosophic issue and maybe made a little impression. And that was uh, what sound money is all about. And uh, talking about audit the Fed prior to 1976, when I first went to Washington, the, the Federal Reserve was never talked about. And they thought, boy, people would come up to me and what are you what are you talking about them for? You know, they'd be wondering. So I think that uh, but I really do believe that uh, the politicians just reflect a prevailing attitude the opinions of the people. Very, very important. So what I saw as dramatic and wonderful was during the lockdowns that when crowds finally said enough is enough and they started to rebel against that stuff. So it wasn't it wasn't a dictatorship of the majority in a political sense. It was the people got disgusted and they woke up and you had parents waking up but they're ruining our kids you know and they were they would go to parent pta meetings and uh, fire some of those people so i think attitudes are very important education is very important so that's why right now i probably spend uh 90 uh, of my time tr trying to understand and pass a message on to others the, the reason why i asked about trump is because you said just a moment ago that uh, you think the change, the revolution was, was it 1963, I think you said, right? 63? Oh, oh, no. Uh, the, the beginning, the yeah, coup? The coup. That, that was 62. 62. Sorry, I got the wrong. Uh, I'm, you know, based on this, this story we pulled up and you have this Russian arms dealer saying Trump's at risk. I'm wondering if you think there's any uh, validity to that. What was that again? The Russian arms dealer claiming that Trump's life is at risk because he's trying to stop globalists. I'm wondering if you think that's absurd. Uh, well, to me, that come across with that is, I probably don't know enough about it to be really astute about it, but it seems so superficial. <laughs> you yeah. know, I'm, I'm more into Marxism and why Marxists are nihilists and why the, the whether it's uh, the original Marxists or the cultural Marxists of today, that their main goal, since they don't have to worry about truth and honesty, their main goal is is chaos, street chaos, riots and you don't have to go very far to to look around for what's going on. Their goal is, uh, and so I I still struggle with it. Why do they do this? It's so stupid and so harmful. And the only real explanation it isn't it isn't stupidity. It's done on purpose because chaos leads to the breakdown of order, and uh, that's that is our real real threat. But it originated, I think, back even before 1913. It's just that then it actually was. Uh, 1963, I'd say, that, that assassination was a big thing. That same decade, Martin Luther King and RFK and over 100 people that were loosely associated with Kennedy, that they, they suddenly died. Nobody knows exactly which ones were related or what, but there, there's some noise out there that uh, really indicates that it was a big, big event. Yeah, wow. Bobby Kennedy, Malcolm X as well. I was, I was wondering, what do you think about uh, another Kennedy running for the presidency, and that's Robert Kennedy Jr.? Uh, are you guys excited about uh, him potentially running? Yeah, we, he announced we, we talk about it, 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 even though... Uh, 
even though we we don't promote legislation, but we talk about it. And he's a friend, and he came out to one of one of our anti-war conferences, conferences yeah, yeah. and uh, people loved him. And I think I think it's great uh, that, that he's running, uh, but. Uh, it's it's not likely. I mean, I'd have him on my program if he would come on, but I I probably am not into the endorsing business, you know, because because I think it's very secondary to waking up the people. I want the people to wake up about the monetary issue, which we're going to have the opportunity because this monetary system is just starting to crack, and that, then the people wake up just like they got sick of uh, sick and tired of the lockdown. And I talk, I talk about the, the football game that I don't remember where it was, but there were a hundred thousand people showed up and they didn't wear masks, and that was sort of the breakthrough. I thought that was fantastic. The people will wake up, and that's that's what I figure that I can contribute to wake people up. Do you? Can, if can you, you uh, I just want to ask you to elaborate on the monetary policy aspect. Right now, we, we're seeing eggs at six dollars for for a dozen. We're seeing, uh, you know, uh, banks going insolvent. Can you explain what this economic system is? What's wrong with it? Well, uh, the the main reason is is uh, you don't have a definition of the unit of account, because if you were building a building and you were an architect, you'd want a unit of account or a unit of measurement. Uh, how are we going to measure all these things? Are we going to do it in feet, yards, or whatever? Because everything has to be measured. In economics, you have to have a unit of account. And that, of course, is a defined currency. And they can get away with, you know, messing it up for long periods of time. We were able to get away with destroying the unit of account, you know, all, all the way back in 1934 and 1971, the way it is now. But we were very, very wealthy. And we still are wealthy but we're getting poorer because people rely on debt and the debt is growing and uh, the, the price inflation is moving along and uh, it's a consequence that they've destroyed the, one of the most important uh, items the most important price in economics is the price of money how much it takes to borrow what was it minus for a couple years and during that time the fed would come up and say oh oh you know we're having trouble we we want we want the inflation the price inflation we want the destruction of the value of money go at two percent a year and it's down to minus one or minus two now, this is the craziest thing in the world the last the last thing they they should be doing but now, and I said, you know, when it finally gets to 2%, you wait. You won't even see it. It'll be 10% after that. And, uh, and, and now that's because there's the uh, there's this theory of subjective theory of value that tells you that you can't make those predictions. But you can make predictions that if you mess up with the uh, monetary system, run up debt, it, all this debt, has to be liquidated, and we are in the middle of defaulting on that money, and that is going. That is the crisis we face, and right now we're not very far along at accepting what we have to accept if we want to crawl our way out of here and get back to being a productive nation. Do you think I just I just want to go back a little bit, but what you said before this statement, uh, because I think this is what really is important about your message. A lot of people are like. 
what politician is going to save me? And in reality, no politician is going to save you. Personal responsibility is extremely important. What's happening with the big banks, what's happening with the ESG score, the international multinational corporations running things is far more important, especially when it comes to your own individual uh, decisions that you make in everyday life. And I think this is why that message is so much more important because everyone's like, please, someone save us. In reality, the only person who's going to save you is you yourself. And, and you know, you, you've taken many steps. Homeschooling, you opened up a homeschooling network as well. Can you tell us how that is going and how people could potentially be involved in that? Well, it's the Ron Paul curriculum. You just get on the website there. And uh, the school did, has done steady, steady and does well. But it, there was a big burst of interest, you know, during COVID. But some of the people went back to the government schools, uh, you know, after that. So uh, I I think that uh, people will respond. And that's why the important thing is to keep things legal so that we can do that. And that's why the Internet is so important. It can be be a destroyer or it could be our savior. I mean, we do our program, you know, on the Internet is where we do it. We get a... programs like this out so that that is uh, and every once in a while i'll see something i've always thought oh the libertarians will take care of that there's a lot of smart people they know this and when the government comes in and takes over the internet they will have competition and i think we're getting it and uh and it, it's just a little bit slow in, in doing it but i th- i think as long as you have some freedom there and can use it but that's why we're in such a threatening period because they're destroying our first amendment rights you know people are getting punished for this they lose their jobs i knew doctors that you know i'm taking care of patients and they say and they might have you know their livelihood and they said well if you don't get your shot you know you're you're going to lose your hospital position uh, your hospital privileges that that is really wicked stuff so that that protecting the first amendment is one of our biggest uh, challenges right now yeah i think the way the first amendment translates to the internet is software code we need the access to our software code so we can see if it's spying on us or if it's feeding us malinformation algorithms. It's going to be like something, an amendment maybe to the Constitution to well, guarantee a freedom. Let, let me let me break that down and actually ask you, Dr. Paul, what uh, Ian brings up a great point. When you're on Facebook, when you're on Twitter, they're choosing what you see to manipulate what you think. So how can we have free speech if these big corporations are only letting us see one thing. Well, well, you can't. And I'll be the first one to tell you that technology, uh, I, I don't understand a lot of it, but I want it to be free and to make, uh, make these decisions elsewhere. But uh, no, the big thing is, and, uh, you know, Jonathan Turley has done such a great job to exposing this. The line has to be drawn. And, and I bet you there are a lot of libertarians at the beginning of this. I was like, well, these companies are private. They can do what they want. We're not going to close them down. And, but there is an answer for that. They're not private. And, and early on, I said, they're nothing but the arm of the government. And, uh, and, and, and that's a big difference. And then all of a sudden, we got the proof of that. But that came out now. Not many people are talking about it. But the FBI and the CIA, they work with these, uh, these, uh, pri- these companies, like uh, all the so- so- social welfare, so- so- social companies. Uh, well, that, that, is a, that is a big deal. And that could be stopped. That's, that should, uh, <laughs> it should be, uh, you know, a, a 
a violent act to yep. do that, especially when the government's there. That's why we should have a lot less government. <laughs> yes, and, and they did it from the very beginning, especially with companies like InQtel, especially with a lot of the seed funding, especially with a lot of the advancement that government gave companies like Google, Alphabet to the advantage over their competitors. And I saw a lot of people argue, you know, even just a couple of years ago, being like, these companies are private companies. They could do what they want. We have to stand by capitalism. I'm like, you guys aren't even paying attention to what's really going on here because, as you said, they are arms of the state. They are acting for their own best interest, and they're sowing division in this country, creating order out of chaos to specifically create a situation where we are fighting each other over petty differences rather than actually looking at the true source of our problem, and that's the dollar being devalued. That's our currency just being thrown away and our whole livelihoods just being taken away from us, which is absolutely crazy. Do you think it would be righteous to default on the interest to the Federal Reserve? Oh, uh, yeah, I think I'd, if I could write a pen and close down the Federal Reserve, I just would, and everybody has to scatter. What would, <laughs> what would be like the evolution of our monetary right. system? How, what's a better system? But I wouldn't we, yeah. do that. I, I, you know, I, I guess the fact, I, I say the most important thing if you want to act in a, a somewhat gradual system because you're not going to do that. You're not going to do it because if you cut the Fed off, uh, the, the whole thing crashes and there'll be revolutions and all this. So uh, I, I, I started with uh, getting more information. That's why I concentrate on auditing the Fed, find out what they're doing. And the one thing over the many years that I've worked on this, that is the most uh, important uh, information that they hang on to, and that is their transactions with foreign governments. That is that is really sacred, and uh, they uh, they don't want that to happen. I've been told that they work with the Bank for International Settlements in Switzerland, and like the Bank of London, the Bank of Australia, and the New York Federal Reserve are like they all send money through yeah. this Swiss bank. Yeah, that's right. It's a bank for the central banks, and I guess they have to park some of their money in places. But it's the nature of the monetary system. See if. Uh, Prior to uh, central banking, which was, uh, you know, the debate started with our revolution with Jefferson and Hamilton. You know, there, there was no they weren't discussing the Bank of International Settlements back back then. So it's a uh, it's it's totally unnecessary in a free market. The most important thing is define the currency by weight or you know, something real. And uh, then. Uh, then prohibiting anybody from disobeying it. The Constitution is pretty clear on it. And some of the states now are reacting to this. States are coming through and trying to develop their own currency because it's tough for them to say, well, you know, the, the states uh, uh, states can only use, uh, you know, gold and silver as legal tender. Now, my bill in Congress was a little bit more generalized. It said, oh, repeal all the laws, all the monopoly laws that the government has it in control and let the market decide it. But the, the founders said, no, uh, even the states uh, can't just print up their own money. But I think in a free society, a libertarian society, you could have contract. If you're setting up a bank and you say, this is the unit of account, and they say, and you're going to use gold, 
uh, you have to live up to your contract. It seems like crypto is the new contract, which is data. Like what's the account symbol? It's how much work was done to produce the Bitcoin or whatever. So you can see on a on a database, well, there was this much computer power used. Well, yeah, and that gets a little more complex because if you say uh, what is what's behind gold, you know, everybody knows about gold. And they've used it for 5,000 years. So people know what, what it is. But it's always been... Gold didn't, be, didn't fall out of the sky and become money. Gold fell, came out of the ground and was pretty. And they used it. You know, jewelry and it valued and all the important things of money. That, that happened, then it became very practical to be used as money. But you might find, uh, you might find 20 things and more all the time. There's, there's actually things uh, uh, being advanced now. Even when I was in medical school, we studied about there were some arthritis that that could be treated with gold and silver, gold especially. And there's more and more silver has been used as a medication. And so it should be legalized for that reason. But that's what helps make it money. That isn't that you're using money to do that. It means that is what makes it money. I don't think you could make the same argument with a crypto. What are you going to say to we've created a crypto coin because we used to use this in medicine? Well, let me let me I wanted to I want to say this. I think because of you, Dr. Paul, you, you made a lot of people millionaires and billionaires, because when your message was going around about the U.S. dollar being unsound based on these policies, there were a lot of people that were trying to figure out what they could do to store their value properly. Of course, gold and silver were big. But when Bitcoin emerged, a whole bunch of libertarians and people who had heard your message said, I'm going to check this thing out. And they bought a bunch. And 10 years later, they're worth 300, 400 million dollars because governments all over the world are buying crypto and trying to use it. Many people have have decided for whatever reason it has value to them. And the early adopters who are paying attention to the problems of the U.S. dollar they got to rise along with it. So what does that prove? <laughs> oh, I don't know if it proves anything. I just think like if they listened to you for whatever reason, they ended up becoming very wealthy. Yeah, but the one thing for sure, I wasn't giving uh, investment advice. Right, no, for I sure. I mean, it turns out it's okay, but I might have been talking about agriculture. Yeah. You could go out and buy <laughs> land. Uh, Jimmy Rogers, uh, oh yeah, that's what we should do. But, and, and that serves that function. But uh, I think that that's a, a little bit different. Uh, I, the way I answer those questions is, uh, you know, does that mean you want to be cautious and make some rules about, uh, about the Bitcoin? No, I'd let the market decide whether people really want Bitcoin or not. Uh, and and uh, they, they uh, I, was, I go to a lot of uh, Bitcoin crypto meetings and things, especially early on. And at these meetings, I became a little bit nervous because they had one individual there that they were hovering around, and these are the people that was running the conference. They were hovering around this woman that said, oh, she had had experience with uh, Washington, D.C. as a lobbyist in ways and means, and we'll protect you when they start writing the laws about it. And I thought, no, you don't need, you, that's, that's not my, my way of looking at it. I mean, if, if it's, uh, Designed mainly to prevent fraud or something like that. You have to be open to it. But I, I, I just think that you don't need laws, uh, you know, to tell people uh, uh, w- how to protect against gold. What concerns me about tying money to a hard thing like gold 
is that someone can steal all the gold. Like if we tie it to anything, then that thing can be taken and hoarded by someone. Maybe, maybe, but they've, uh, you know, the, the, uh, the, uh, uh, let's see, the, the, the silver people back in the seventies, uh, hunt brothers, they cornered the market and they took it up when silver was $5 or $3. They took it up to $50. They were hoarding it. Wow. But the market came along and took care yeah. of so, it. And, so, and, so but real, real quick, quick, Ian, Bitcoin's been stolen tons of times. It just it, it happens all the time. Yeah. yeah. They find and, ways. And right now, gold is at an all-time high. Bitcoin just hit above $30,000 today as well. Uh, and I remember doing my coverage of currency collapses in Venezuela and in Zimbabwe. And we were talking about this a little bit before the show. Before a currency kind of collapses, a lot of different things happen before it does. There's many things that happen in many different years. And then all of a sudden, when it drops, it drops quickly. And the effects are one by one by one by one. And, and, and it goes by so fast people are shocked and surprised do you think that is possible in the united states do you see a possible currency collapse and potentially on what kind of time scale no i don't see it's possible it's going to be <laughs> it's going to happen inevitable <laughs> so it, it will it because they can't keep uh keep doing this but uh you know you mentioned that uh you know some of those people that took my advice, I wonder if they're going to give me a cut on what they made. <laughs> no, it just I happened that uh, you know, it was an alternative. And so far, the alternative has made a lot of people rich. But do you think there were 10 people, 100 people, 5,000 people or, or a million people that bought, uh, bought cryptocurrency or crypto between 30 and 68? <laughs> and it's on the way up and then on the way down there's a lot of buying and selling yeah. so so it is some people make a lot but but the whole thing is is i want a definition i, I mean you can they can do it it would be legal as long as there's no fraud involved but uh it uh, you, you still have to have a definition i can define a uh, a gold dollar and for us, it was uh, it, it was not rounded off, but you know, at the time of the Constitution, they had a precise weight of silver, which was the real monetary issue. But it uh, it was uh, the gold was at uh, you know forty two dollars an ounce, you know, and uh, no 26 dollars an ounce, and that was stayed there for a long, long time. And but that didn't prove anything other than we had a lot of gold, <laughs> and we would would it's sort of like the uh, the Romans did. They they'd advance their they'd advance their uh, kingdom, and and, uh, and and go out and steal all the gold from the people. And uh, in a way, we have advanced uh, you know our empire, and we have become very wealthy. But now we're consuming it. We're consuming it. So definitions will change according to that. But you still know, uh, you know, uh, it was $20 an ounce. And then it went to $35 an ounce, cheated the American people, total fraud. And then it was released in 71. And it went to $800 an ounce. Then it had to be the market adjusting. And that's a benefit. The market will sort that out. 
but, uh, but the definition quick... is gone. I'm, my argument is you have to have a definition if you want to have a sound economy. And the world has never been on a fiat currency to the extent that we're uh, that we have now uh, with the with the paper money dollar. I just want to make a quick correction. Gold is not an all time high, but near all time highs. I'm sorry if I misspoke. Earlier. Well, I, I wanted to. <laughs> it's close. Yes. <laughs> I wanted to ask you about uh, military intervention and war and all that stuff. I know that uh, you are one of the biggest opponents of the U.S. getting involved overseas. And I'm curious your thoughts on where we've gone since you were in Congress. Has it gotten worse and, and what your views are? Well, the, the principle has gotten much worse. They, they've endorsed the, the, the uh, principle. And uh, the big thing was uh, probably one that is, is annoying to me was uh, – because I remember it, and that was we had World War One, World War Two, and we went through the, you know, the process of declaring war and having an enemy, and it did. Uh, I think they could have been avoided, but but it was done the right way in the sense that we declared the war, and the wars didn't last that long. We were only an hour, a year or so on World War One and World War Two. It's three years. Think of how that was taken care of. But after the war. And I remember this uh, this uh, issue very clearly because it was in 51, 50, 51, you know, when uh, when Truman said, oh, he never probably made an announcement. We have to have a police action. We have to go and, you know, preserve democracy for Korea. And my comparison was. Yeah, and look, we wanted to do that in South Korea, and uh, we we lose sixty thousand people and kill millions of the uh, Vietnamese and all this, and then we lose. We walk away, lost all this money and all these lives, and what happened? Was there a? Uh, this, these are just realistic arguments, but uh, was was there the domino effect? That's what we were preached to. Your domino effect. It's going to communism is going to take over and they did a lot of that but guess what when we lost the war in vietnam <laughs> we we left and uh all of a sudden something weird happened uh they started acting like capitalists <laughs> and and just think of all we won in peace versus all that we lost in war and sometimes people won't even think of the slightest consideration that maybe a little bit of that philosophy could be applied to those people who are looking forward to a war with china i feel like it's it's like a, a the chinese finger trap that you've got so many people who want war and they make the argument, we, we need to go there to stop Russia, we need to go there to, to stop the terrorists. But in doing these things, in engaging in foreign intervention, it's creating recoil or creating blowback. And it's making the conflicts worse. It's that's making... By, that's by design. I mean, that's what keeps the machine running. You know, that's what keeps the money flowing. We talk about the Fed all the time. The Fed is what makes war possible. It's what makes the empire possible. And it's funny because you sit around and you laugh at the domino theory. Oh, man, that's... That's like, you know, that's like something out of the 60s. We're living in it right now. If we don't stop Russia in Ukraine, they're going to be marching through Paris. You know, <laughs> tomorrow they're going to they're going to take Estonia. Where's Estonia? <laughs> I have no idea, but they're going to take it. I heard it on TV. <laughs> so we still believe in the domino theory. It's still the basis of our foreign policy. In fact, who was it? It was a politician. It actually may have been McCarthy, Speaker of the House. And I could be wrong, who said, um, 
well, we got to fight him. Basically, he literally said, we got to fight him over there because otherwise we're going to fight him over here. I mean, I thought the Bush era was over. Right. So it, these things are just regurgitated because they're enormously profitable to the most well-connected people, you know? The only value I see to in foreign intervention is that fascism sometimes can be extremely peaceful. That's one of the worst things about fascism is it's insidiously quiet. I mean, modern fascism, it's, it's capitalist. They buy, they, they run your social media. They make you see things you don't understand. And so at some point, if you don't do anything, it will just well, happen around you. I'll, let, let me try to elaborate on what you're, I, I think what you're saying is what we're seeing with big tech, what we're seeing with the establishment, this authoritarian takeover subverting our systems, buying people out and slowly creeping in and taking things over. Is that? Yeah, BlackRock, these, these right. mega corporations that are buying land and things like that's, that's It's happening in the name of peace because it's being done with dollars. But I don't, I don't know if fascism is the right word because some people might take the word fascism literally, but we're seeing, you know, state with State Street, Vanguard, BlackRock. Black, corporatism. Corporatism. They're, they're buying everything up. They're using the system against us and exploiting it. And it's not just that. These, these big... Uh, uh, hedge funds and, and, and firms, they're getting Federal Reserve money basically infinitely printed and given to them to do this. So it's the lucrative, I guess fascism is probably the right way to say it, the lucrative merger of corporation and state to, to take over the whole system. Under Mussolini's definition, and I think you are correct in some, in some instances there, especially with a lot of these institutions like BlackRock having lucrative contracts now in Ukraine. There's a lot of business deals. <laughs> there's a lot of politicians, sons and daughters who have a lot of interests in that particular region. But I kind of wanted to ask both of you guys, if you guys were the Secretary of State, how do you handle the, the Ukraine situation right now? What's the call, call to action? Well, I have a real easy thing to do. It's not complex, and everybody will understand it, but nobody will do it because I used it in my debates. You know, how are we going to end the wars in the Middle East? Yeah, we've sort of come around to your position. We shouldn't have done it, but here we are. And my answer is we just marched in. We can just march out. <laughs> yes. And I, re uh, I remember uh, you had a statement where you said if— someone is given the wrong prescription, you don't just keep giving them the same <laughs> prescription, you stop. That sounds pretty good. Did yes, I say that? You did say that. Yes, it was brilliant. I, and I heard that and I said, I don't see it any other way. If, if we all agree it's wrong, we just stop. Yeah. And I think it's fair to say that uh, yeah, yeah. they've been prescribed crack. Crack cocaine <laughs> and, and heroin and fentanyl all mixed into one and they're high as a kite and they're they're doing really horrible things, especially with, with what's happening in Ukraine right now. There's so many innocent Ukrainians dying. There's so many innocent young men dying in that specific region. And and I think, you know, the main reason we didn't blow each other up during the Cold War was was, was because of negotiations. Was of was because we were able to actually sit at the table and negotiate. We're not even doing that now, which, which is just absurd and crazy, in my opinion. I asked him last night what he would do, and he was like, well, we'd, we'd be like, we'd take our troops out and negotiate some sort of economic you know, resolution with Russia. And I don't know, Ron, do you think that that would be ethical to, because I think what they're trying to do is take Sevastopol, the, the, the warm water trade port in the Black Sea. Yeah, but by what happens when there's sincere efforts, either with China or Russia, that we could pursue, uh, I mean, the uh, deep state, which is uh, not Republican, not Democrat, they're deep into controlling the whole system. They make it so that uh, you you become a heathen, you become a Nazi, or you they'll give you all kinds of names, you know, uh, and you're unpatriotic. That's the thing. Uh, I, I was when I wanted to bring the troops home, I was unpatriotic and I didn't care about the troops. 
I says, how could you argue that? I just want to bring them home so they don't get killed. Yeah, more more troops donated to you than any other presidential <laughs> candidate. People forget about that. And you were one of the only anti-war voices out there that was finally getting at least a little bit of attention on the corporate media, even though it was skewed. Even though when you were polling high, they made sure that they looked like you were polling low. They played so many underhanded tricks against you. I was wondering, um, can, can you talk to that a little bit? And, and how do we navigate this media sphere when they control the narrative and they're playing so unfair. Well, I, I still I resort to something that I find my comfort zone, and that is that I'm not there. Uh, I I don't have the ability, nor is the support there to really change it. You know, uh, I want to audit the Fed so people understand it. I don't say. Okay, the litmus test, if you care about anything at all, you have to sign on to my bill that the Federal Reserve is abolished in two weeks. You know, and, and, and so I, I wanted people just have to, you know, d discuss it. And, that, and that's what happens. It gets turned down. We have opportunity. We could talk to China a lot more. You know, I thought it was pretty exciting when uh, when, when the great Nixon decided to sneak over to China. And it was an exciting time. People think, boy, you know, maybe they will change. And they did. But the big problem is that we won't admit is they'd be paying pretty darn good at capitalism. <laughs> you know, they sold us stuff and they took our money and invested it. And uh, and what do we do? We steal the money from the people and then we invest it to the military industrial complex to go over and drop bombs on people. Then we say, I wonder why they don't like us. <laughs> I've been thinking lately if yep. we could repurpose our military industrial complex to start building drones in like by the tens of millions and then take them out into space and and blow them up for training and then put on board artificial intelligence on the drones. The drones can tell us what we're doing wrong, what? make us better at fighting drone swarms. And then we can not blow people up because I think I still want to make it profitable for Lockheed Martin, but I don't <laughs> want to hurt this. people with Lockheed Martin. OK, let me try. I, I, I think you come up, you bring up an actual interesting point and I'll put it. I'll, I'll rephrase it. I think I think I understand. The military industrial complex is going to move towards the path of least resistance, and that is they need war to stay in power and and they want war. So they lobby for war. They get more money from the government. So what we need is to divert their profits into nonsense, like building drones in outer space. So they keep getting lucrative contracts, but eventually fizzle out of existence because they're, they're being given money for the government to do literally nothing. Yeah, they don't need war. They need profit. And they think that war is the most profitable thing right now. But if we could create a more profitable system, i.e. drone defense, well, there's one statistic you have to deal with, and uh, I'm not I'm not going to argue this is authentic, but I read it so so something. Like, but they say people who get involved in this kind of stuff in the military and all, five percent of them are so are psychopaths. They love war. <laughs> it isn't just the money. Yeah. They, they they love power. They love money, and a few of them are sort of bad news yeah. psychopaths <laughs> like that they enjoy yep. hurting other I, I know that they like seeing how their weapons train on real people like they want to see what how it works I th well this well this was the article that they were arguing that case that some people well you you see it in in domestic life all the time you know some you know it just was so astounding to me when uh, it's too too common now to even be news but uh, somebody would be robbing a store and somebody would be lying on the floor just trying to hide. And the hoodlum comes in. It just fills the person with bullets. I mean, that, that's just well, not... Let me, 
Can I? I want to ask you. Um, uh, going back to the, you know, you're talking about the 50s, the 60s, the 70s, World War II. I'm not. Uh, uh, I'm. I'm 37. I'm curious. With everything we're seeing in today, with political conflict, as you mentioned, with crime, was it at all like this in the 60s, 70s, and the 50s, or anything like that? Well, I, I wrote something recently that uh, what it was like in 1945, because everybody said the world's going to end tomorrow and things are very, very bad. And I agreed with that. I talk about it all the time. But then I just went over the statistics of World War uh, World War One and World War Two. Millions of people died. You know, and it was it was very a, a disaster. So it, it's it's continued. But the founders made the point, and I'm a strong believer in it, that ultimately the kind of society we have depends on a prevailing attitude, both uh, intellectually and spiritually, of a, of a community. Because, uh, you know, the, the non-aggression principle, fortunately, is uh, can be used by people in a spiritual realm or in a pragmatic zone. And, you know, just say this this doesn't this doesn't make any sense. And uh, yet, uh, yet we, we continue to do it. But I think it's the nature of mankind. And I, I never I never heard discussions uh about nihilism of course that's been discussed in the philosophy books for a long time but nothing like it's talked about now and i've sort of been concentrating on that that because if you don't have truth which we don't have anymore uh then you have nihilists and you're dealing with people that have no conscience and when you understand that then you understand the people who just shoot to kill and and do all these things and do all and, and what that's going to cause chaos and people are going to die ah that'll open the doors for true marxism we have to get rid of all this garbage you people are living with so for us to devise you you, you know the the perfect uh, social state we need to get rid of all these notions uh, about uh, about freedom and capitalism and honest money and that is their their goal and and since they're nihilist they don't care so do do you think that the reason we're seeing the spike in crime is that these people are intentionally releasing criminals and and you know uh, making uh, not enforcing laws because they want to destroy the system well i think that they've just lost all contact with reality i think they are psychopathic in that sense a psychopath has lost uh, uh, you, you know contact with reality and uh, and and that sort of can be a collective thing the mob psychology i mean we're we're operating sort of with a mob psychology that people are joining us uh, and they have all kinds of excuses. I, I've been, you know, as much as I try to think about this, uh, you know, getting all these corporations and so many people to go along with this lockdown, you know, and, and most of them are, you know, you think they, they, they can't be, they can't be as far off as I described, but they, uh, they just go, they go along with it. And, uh, it's it's sort of scary, but I think I think the person the uh, the the point that the founders made is uh, they said this constitution isn't worth much if the people ha are immoral and have no principles and they don't believe in truth. How can they believe in honest money if they don't have any principles and 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 they don't have a a unit of account? They don't have a unit of account for the money. They don't have a unit of account 
for social matters. Perhaps this is why they're saying two plus two equals five, which was a, a, a big thing. They're still pushing, to be honest. Or Ron, what, what is a woman? You said yeah. something yeah, really. That's it. That's a good example. You said something yeah. really profound about the non-aggression principle in in regards to spirituality. Like I know about non-aggression principle militarily, but the idea that in a communic in a conversation you could have a non-aggression principle with another human, and that if you live like that, maybe it'll create a society where then that starts well, to happen. But it, but it happens all the time. I've made optimistic statements, and I have to be careful because it sounds too optimistic. I say I remember growing up as a kid in the Depression, World War II. I was in uh, grade school, high school, college, medical school, military. And I said, there's hardly anybody that I met that I thought was a real scoundrel. <laughs> My neighbors had been easy to get along with, and, 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 and we happened to be believers. So the people we associated with in a spiritual way... They were never a threat to us. So there were a lot, so my impression, if it was my narrow impression, but people, most people would say, yeah, but what a boring life you had, <laughs> you know, and, and they wouldn't accept this because life is much different and you have to, you have to have a good time too, you know. Well, well it's the, the old curse, may you live in interesting times. Yeah. So maybe it's kind of good when your life is boring. You get to focus on your passions. You get to take care of your family. Well, it's good to be forceful in your life, but not necessarily aggro like there's difference a different in be in like forcing your personality and beliefs on someone and being aggressive with it well this is this is the issue i see today we have what we would refer to as the left and the right or whatever words you want to use to describe you know wokeness and freedom or whatever one faction says lie cheat and steal because the only truth is power or there is no truth but power the other side is an amalgam of different ideologies that all tend to agree on the rights of the individual. So I think while all of us in this room may disagree on certain you know, principles or philosophies, we mostly agree with life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. And that's where we differ with those who seek to use aggression against us or others to control them and gain power. We actually think people should be free to live their lives, you know, et cetera, yeah, et cetera. But I think people... Uh the shortcomings comes from, I'll use the word conservative, but the conservative element sometimes wants to tell you exactly how you should live. But if a conservative who wants to do that accepts the principle of non-aggression, uh, yes, he can be critical. He might want to prove it because uh, if it happens to be some of your family or a friend and they're they're killing themselves with drugs and all that, you might you know try to help people. But uh, I I think that the people uh, you know um, you know will respond. But uh, the, the the problem is is uh, that there's this momentum, and I think economics have a lot to do with it. You know yeah. uh, because things. Things, uh, even though there's still a lot of wealth in this country, and and people are think they're a lot richer than they really are because it's all on debt, and uh, that's why bad times are coming because it's going to get worse when they know how poor they really are. Well, there, there's a couple of questions I have for you. Why do you think we're seeing this explosion of homelessness in so many major cities? And why is it that they are at the same time? I think these are related. Don't get me wrong, but I'm bringing them both up. They say that it's hard to find workers, but we're also seeing a, uh, this, this wave of unemployment. Uh, I'm sorry, of homelessness. You'd think 
w- those two things would solve themselves. I, I think it's a reflection of a stupid policy, welfareism. And uh, that means uh, they know. It. Look what look what happened when the when the COVID broke out and people wanted to take advantage of it. Everybody got checks, big checks, and they have so much money that they printed it sitting around. How are we going to spend all? So they feel they feel like they can trust that. But the trouble is, is that the payment comes in a different way. The taxes are very high, much higher than they really think. The liquidation of debt, uh, the default. People keep worrying about, will the government not send me my check? Is there going to be a default? The default is rip-roaring, and it's going to get a lot worse. That means that if I owed you $100 last week and I can give it to you today, uh, it's only worth $50. You've lost $50. And governments do that. They steal from you, and uh, they transfer wealth, and that's uh, that's where the real problem is. People don't understand that because they say the one statement that I've heard for so many years is the people who get into trouble as a result of st- stupid government. They say uh, the, the only problem I have is I don't have enough money to pay pay my bills. I go to the grocery store and it's two hundred dollars and I only have a hundred dollars. So it's always a shortage of money. And the problem is there's too much money printed out of thin air and it doesn't have value to it. There's right. no unit of account. So well, ha- having a unit of account in social things and economic matters, I think, are very similar. This, this is how I explain it to people. I went onto Amazon and I was searching for a tablet, put it in my shopping cart, and I think it was like $470. I forgot to buy it. Two days later or so, I go back on Amazon and there's a notice. It says a price change for an item in your cart. I click it and it says this item is now $600. This is the easiest way for the average person to understand how inflation is happening so rapidly. It, it was, it, I, I could have bought it two days ago for you know, 150 bucks less. Well, that means if you, were, if, you, if, you did a pl- if you made a plan and said, okay, I make X dollars per hour, I have Y bills and the tablet costs Z, that means I have to work this many hours to be able to buy this tablet at the end of the month. So yeah. you work those hours, and then by the time the end of the month comes, the tablet now costs twice as much because you weren't actually making any money. As you were working your job and saving, you were losing money. See, uh, free market Austrian econ- economy is completely different than Keynesianism. Keynesianism believes in the computer. You put in the numbers, and they'll tell us, Print $100 here and the people will do this. That's not true. It never works out because one of the principles of Austrian economics that has helped me understand it is the artificiality of it. It's the pseudo theory that that you can't uh, you can't measure things that way because there's a psychological factor there and uh it's it's how bad do we want so if if we doubled the money supply in this room uh we're not all going to do the same thing you can't you can't tell what the people will do what their measurement be. some might save it some might spend it that's why that's why this theory this subjective theory of value i think explains it that's why it's a mishmash that's why you can go you know, uh, 10, 10 years and gold prices doesn't move, and yet they've been printing money like crazy. Then all of a sudden we have yep. our, our prices going up. But that's all explainable through Austrian economics. I, I did find that really interesting that the price of gold has been fairly stagnant, I think, over the past 10 years. 
Is that artificial? Is it being artificially held well, down? Well, there's a lot of manipulation. That's the most important price fixing that they can do because the gold eventually will measure value. No matter, they will be the unit of account. And uh, that's the last thing that they have to cling to uh, to say that uh, the dollar still has value. And uh, they've been able to manipulate, boy, ever since Roosevelt went in and took the gold in. It was $35 an ounce and all that. But they, they, I think even today, they can manipulate that price of gold. And, and, oh, I'm uh, way off. I was and, way wrong on that. Sorry. But, but they will have to, uh, you know, eventually there's going to. There's going to be chaos from it, and that's why we would like to try to avoid it. You so, so real, real quick, just a correction. In January of 2001, gold was $265 an ounce. It reached a peak around uh, September of 2011 at 1700 It dipped down August 2015 to 1121 And as of today, it is bouncing around near 2000 and officially crossed to $2,018. So actually... It skyrocketed after the first economic crisis went down a little bit and then skyrocketed back up again with the past economic crisis. So, yeah, yeah gold is gold is way up. OK, that thousand dollars was 19, uh, 2015 or something. Yes. That one thousand when, when I watched that as the beginning of the current bull market in gold. Because you had bull market 35 up to 800, then you had a thousand up to uh, well, what the second one? But this is the third one where it was a thousand dollars. Now it's up to two thousand dollars, and I think it's just the beginning. If you look at percentages of what happens in a bull market in gold, what's the percentage going from 35 up to 800? Even though it didn't stay there, that's oh, yeah. that's the movement that it had. 250 percent or something like yeah. that. Is it so? It's, po- it's possible. It's more more than that. It's possible we'll see like a 10x increase in the cost of gold, the value of gold. I don't know what you call it, cost or value is the same, is the, the word interchangeable. What? Uh, like, do, could you see gold going up by one magnitude from 2,000 to 20,000 an ounce? Yeah, well, I think it'll go to zero. I mean, I think it won't be in trading. I, mean, I think the dollar will go to zero before that. But no, yes, it will. If it, They've held it together longer. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I I think in your lifetime, you'll see gold at $5,000 an ounce if they can keep it from totally crashing the economic system. I I, I agree. I'm looking at this chart right now, and it compares the dollar, the Dow Jones, the S&P 500, and gold. And if in the year 2000, you invested all your money in gold, it would be worth twice as much as stock in the Dow Jones or S&P 500. Did you compare it to crypto? Uh, If you bought Bitcoin... Uh, around uh, 2009 or whatever, it would be worth 20,000 percent. So oh, from the beginning, from the beginning. And do it, do it for, <laughs> from when 2015 2016 from, was uh, when gold was a thousand yeah. bucks. So I think 2016 would be an interesting metric from 2016. Yes. So let's uh, let's do this, do this. So if you were to buy Bitcoin in. OK, why is it? OK, there we go. 2016. Yeah. Let's say it lets me go back to 2018. Bitcoin was at $8,000. Today it's at $30,000. So it's. So you can look more. at charts and probably prove almost anything you want on the short run. You, mess, you mentioned. You, oh, in the, in, uh, I'll just put it this way. In the past five years, Bitcoin is up 113%. Gold is 53%. S&P 500 is 52. Dow Jones is 35 if you go back to uh, the year 2000, you know, I think it's not necessarily relevant for, you know, people my age, then 
you would have gained way more buying gold than anything else. And then uh, in the past five years, the S&P 500 and gold are comparable. You know, we, we all look at that. And we think about investments. How do we protect our wealth? And, and that is important because that's <laughs> how do I live? But uh, ultimately, if you look at all those different investments that we have that we can do, uh, actually, the only thing that's going to be important to us is if we have our freedom. Because, because the, what did Roosevelt do? He, within one announcement, a month after he was in office, he took all the gold in. By force? Yeah, confiscated yeah. the gold. There was gold confiscation in the United States. Many people don't even know about and this. Nobody but. owned, nobody in the United States was allowed to own gold from 1933 up till 1975. And that was, that was when I was trying to get gold legalized, you know. And that's a long time. So that's, uh, that's pretty amazing. Uh, but I think one of the most important metrics to look at is the purchasing power of the dollar. And when you look at that <laughs> and what it used to buy you and now what it buys you, I mean, there's horrible, tragic stories of individuals burying their money or yeah. putting it underneath their couch. And I'm like, you, people don't understand. One of the biggest taxes out there is inflation. It's a hidden tax. Many people don't know about it, but the value of your dollar, of what you worked hard for, is slowly being eviscerated by the government and well, their irresponsible financial policies. Th there was a story where a young couple uh, opened up the floorboards in their attic and found a box that their grandfather, or that this guy's grandfather, had, had hidden away with $50,000 in it. And boy, were oh, they pay, oh, paper, yep. money. paper money and boy, were they so excited to find fifty thousand dollars. And they're like, wow, little do they realize that it's basically a million dollars if he had properly invested it because the U.S. dollar is not sound. Exactly. And, and, and just seeing this happening, because now I think it's it's kind of quickening. Now, when you go to the grocery store, you see it more and more kind of evident and more and more in your face, not just with egg prices, but that has to deal with a lot of other circumstances and situations. But overall, when you're at the grocery store, when you pay for everything, it's a lot more than Dude, it was before. And that's we, not an accident. We just went to the grocery store. And as we are checking out, the, it was 200 bucks for like one half bag of it was like cheese, tea, some meat and some some hummus. And then we were like, how is this two hundred dollars? What is it? <laughs> well, it was like eight dollars for a little thing of hummus. It was it was eight dollars for a pack of cheese. And we were like, yeah, we filled up a bag with, you know, some deli meats, some cheese, some dips and some drinks. And they're like eight to ten bucks each. And it doesn't take a genius to, to see all of this because during covid, they were like, we're going to give you guys a two thousand dollar check. <laughs> But we're going to give you billion dollars more to all the private entities and corporations that we're in business with. And, and having that much of money just printed out of thin air, those $2,000 were nothing compared to the secret corporate and banking bailouts that were given out to some of the biggest institutions in the world. Their losses were, 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 were private, were, were, were public, were publicized. Their profits were privatized. This is a, this is a system that we're, we're dealing with right now that isn't capitalistic. This is socialism for the super rich. Everyone else, screw yourself. And this is a big notion that I think a lot of leftists need to understand here. This is not capitalism. This is, this is direct elitism, socialism for the super rich that are able to get away and do whatever they want while everyone else is being screwed over. You know, the, the words that they use makes a big difference, too, because even here, and I'll do it quite frequently, but I try not to ever refer to inflation as a CPI and prices going up. And Mises, I used to say, well, that's just semantics, just you know, qualified or something. But Mesa said, no, that's on purpose. Because if the price of such and such went up, that means 
profits. They made too many profits. Oh, labor's going up too fast. Labor unions did that. At the same time, if, uh, if we concentrate on the inflation, it's back to the money. If you dilute the money supply by printing money, uh, that that is the culprit. That's the inflation. So I try never to talk about the CPI. Oh, well, it showed right. a lot of inflation last year. <laughs> but this is this is a trick many leftists use. I see them say something like, "The economy is not doing poorly. These corporations brought in record profits." And it's like, yes, inflation is at fifteen percent. So if a corporation brings in, say, ten billion more dollars, and they they typically bring in a hundred billion dollars. It is just rising with inflation. That is to say, the buying power of what they brought in is the same, but the monetary number is bigger. Therefore, it's the corporation's fault for making record profits. <laughs> and that's the trick they use to say, see, capitalism's the problem. These corporations are making record profits while you're suffering. No, yes. the reason you can't buy milk, bread and eggs is because it's six bucks for a carton of eggs right now. And so that means those corporations, their costs have gone up the same. And so their profit percentage is the same, but the number is bigger because of inflation. Yeah, yeah. talking percentages and not in, in finite amounts when you want to talk about profits, that's a good point. Those are the tricks they use to be like, oh, how did they make 50 billion this year? You know, Ron, you mentioned um, <clears throat> units of account and how our money has lost a form of account and that it, gold was our, used to be the way you would account for money. And then you said something about social account, a unit of account for social, social units of account. What did you mean by that? Well, I think you have to have a value. Uh, the nihilists have a value. Truth doesn't exist. The other one is there is truth out there. And, uh, and it, it might not be, you might not have the same definition, but in principle, all the way back to before Hammurabi wrote his code, they had an idea and the code uh, would, would define even back then, when it was such a primitive era, they said you should kill people. You should steal from people. And that's a higher law. It's a higher law that was known to all civilizations. And uh, I think that you have to have, have that. But it's a tr truth versus nihilism is a good way to do it. But I, I think it's also a higher law which has been uh, known about and accepted on... Uh, you know, from the beginning of time, from time of Adam and Eve, it's, it implies right and wrong, good and bad. And uh, if you have that, you have no unit of account on social order. So is this like um, social credit score kind of like <laughs> I a, hope not. Is it, a, is it like a, a, an aberration of of what we're supposed to think is truth? Like truth is what they tell you it is. As opposed to truth is don't kill people. Don't I, guess he, I guess he could be, but the social credit thing, I, just, I, I don't want to get near that one. I agree. And I wonder if losing touch with our unit of account from the Bible, I was never really raised in that way religiously, but I think that there is value to it. Like that if we lose touch with that, then another form of account will come in. Like you account to the state, well, something I, like that. The, I think the woke left have no moral framework. It's just power. And then the traditional Judeo-Christian values of the United States is a moral framework. So I think that's a big dividing point in the culture war. Those who, and I've said this before, uh, Bill Maher is a great example of this. He says he's an atheist. He doesn't believe in God, but he holds all of these Christian values, such as the right uh, uh, presumption of innocence, which is rooted in the story of Sodom and Gomorrah as the principal example I tend to use. But here's a guy who was raised in a society that held these values to be true. He then says, but I don't believe about a, I don't believe anything about a man in the sky or a resurrection or anything. And that's 
those stories are totally separate from the moral values of presumption of innocence, for example. And so he grows up, he lives a life, and he says, I don't believe those stories, but I'm going to tell you, we have to hold these values true. When people then grow up completely outside of that religion, that never even hearing the stories or any of those values, they don't recognize presumption of innocence. What do they recognize? The only thing that matters is how powerful you are and what you can take. Mm-hmm. Very well. I've got a burning question I wanted to ask you at the beginning of the show, Ron, and I'll ask you now. If you had the internet in 1976 before you ran for Congress, would you have started a YouTube channel instead? <laughs> <laughs> I had trouble starting it in 1982 or 1992. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm not in. Uh, I think about it in theory and in principle and usage and the practicality and how you get the information out. And my job, I spend most of my time, is trying to understand things. That's why I was fascinated with just the fundamentals of economic policy. If it was to Leonard Reed in the Foundation for Economic Education. To me, this was exciting. And I used to kid myself. I said, boy, I'm sure glad I found these people that agree with me. <laughs> and of course, it was the other way around because it's, it's been there a, a long time. So uh, I, I think that, uh, you know, people, people, uh, you know, can find a thing. But that to me was the most interesting thing is to search. I think uh, once you discover that you're not going to know you know, we might just say we all agree on the general principles. That sounds good, having truth and non-aggression principle. But each one of us would, might apply it a little bit differently because the one thing that conservatives can't do is leap over this and accept, you know, somebody else's personal behavior. And then they want to regulate that. That means they've leaped over uh, uh, too far. And that, that means they have to use force to do that. That's why the idea of aggression has to be very, very definite. You said something at the very beginning of the show about uh, there being no honest people in Washington, D.C. or something <laughs> to that effect. And uh, I wanted to say this right away, but I can think of at least one. I can think of more than one, but to be fair, at least one. And that's Rand Paul who uh, uh, your son, obviously. And then you also mentioned, you know, you had kids in college. And I think that uh, uh, Rand is one of the only politicians that I think is doing a good job that actually uh, is doing right. I I think they're all far from perfect, but everyone's human. And then there's people like Thomas Massey, I think is doing a tremendous job. Massey's very good. I'm wondering what your thoughts are on, uh, uh, on the current state of Congress. And obviously, I assume you think your son's doing a good job, but I'm curious to hear your thoughts. Well, once again, I don't get into the detail of that. I've... I've over the years don't even like using their names. <laughs> One time we had a little rally after they did allow me in the, in, in the uh, at, at the time of the election. They, they they didn't permit me to speak at the uh, convention, and uh, I um, so we had our own rally. I think I was where were we in Florida? Florida. Yeah, I was there. <laughs> yeah, 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 it was a great event. <laughs> well, anyway, it was, and uh, I think I spoke on average about an hour or so, and I did, and the crowd was just great. And I never say I never say, oh, I gave a great speech. I say the crowd makes your speech, and that made made all the difference. And so I uh, I was. Uh, you know, just really amazed 
you know, at the, at the reception that we got there. So yeah. uh, it, it was huge. It was a stadium. There was multiple stadiums uh, in Florida that, that that particular year as well. And there was multiple shows and multiple people being like, this is a representation of the people that's not being represented by the corporate media. That's not being represented by the political class. And there was so much discontent because finally we had a voice that was being heard, but it was being censored by the media. But it was being downranked everywhere, uh, which was crazy. Well, when I finished that speech, somebody came up to me and it might have been a friendly reporter or somebody that wasn't coming. Matter of fact, it maybe was a, a criticism. I didn't know it. He, he person came up. He says, you know, you talked for over an hour. He says, and, uh, who, who were my opponents? Let's see. That was uh, was was Trump. Was, no, I don't think uh, that was Trump. I think that was uh, Romney. Romney. Uh, had to, yeah. And, Ging, Gingrich. No. Who was the Democrat? Um, that was, uh, 2008. That was, what is that? Obama. Yeah. Yeah. Obama. And And the guy come up and he says, you talked for an hour. He says, you never mentioned either their names. (laughs) 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 You're supposed to go after your opponents. So I mean, I didn't mention the Republican or the Democrat. So I, I I put that down on the list. Well, I think it's a distraction (laughs) and I, I never enjoyed it. Even though I have to admit that I've been getting pretty sloppy and Daniel has to put up with it because what I do is there's one person that does upset me (laughs) and it happens to be a woman. And that doesn't mean I don't like women. I mean, (laughs) I'll tell you. Uh, and that's Nancy Pelosi. We all agree with that. I, I, th- I think she's a nihilist. <laughs> oh, yeah. A narcissist, power-hungry yeah. sociopath. Oh. <laughs> and, and if I could just ask you, throughout all of your years, surrounding by all, all of these horrible people in Congress, do you attribute what they're doing because of malice or ignorance? Why do you think they were doing what they were doing? Me, Why do you think they're such let, let me, a cause for bad? Let me just simplify that, Luke. Are they stupid or are they evil? There you yes. Go. There, that's yeah. That's <laughs> yes, yes, yes. <laughs> Both. <laughs> what? What? Moment? I I think that the the problem that I look at is intellectual and philosophic. I, we we started a conversation with talking about uh, you know 1913. I says it was even a little earlier. Uh, I think people are influenced by that type of thing and the control of the scenario, the control of the propaganda uh, is, is the real is the real problem. Now the individuals they're sloppy, uh, they're not well informed. Uh, you know I had people come up, some de- liberal Democrats when I first went there in the 70s. They come up and they say. I can't figure out what you're doing. Why are you voting with this guy over here? And I just sort of laugh because I got a charge out of it. But uh, no, there's, and, and I, I think there's, there, that's where we're making progress. I think people are. That's why I love to see young people uh, talking about these issues. So you and, think that uh, people- I think mo- most of people don't know how much influence they have because I certainly don't believe some of the things people tell me. Oh, you did this, and you did that. but if, if people, all you have to do is t- t- have a small, small group. If you have ten people, you don't, you, and, and you're not, you're even denied the information. You'll never know. Well, know how many people watch your show? We probably well, got about 50,000 or yeah, more right now. But, but you don't know what that 50,000 might do in the next 10 years. Well, one thing to That's consider- the way things change, ideas. Right. And I'll say this to you. And one thing I've only start realized, you know, maybe like a year ago is people tell us when they're watching, they're actually watching with three or four other people. So it says one, but it's actually a family or it's a group of friends who are hanging out. But I'll, I'll say this to you, uh, uh, Dr. Paul and, and congressman, uh, 
I don't think I don't I don't know if I would be here right now if you were not doing what you were doing, you know, throughout your entire career. The things that I started learning online, the speeches that I saw from you had a, had a tremendous influence. And I think Luke, obviously the same thing. He's at your rallies. So you may get started with this one idea. And as you mentioned, you tell the 10 people, those 10 people tell 10 more, those 10 people tell 10 more. And before you know it, 30 years goes by and you're sitting on some dude's podcast who's like, remember that one thing you said about the wrong prescription for war? And you're like, oh, did I did I say that? Like I had a huge, <laughs> had a huge impact on my view of, of a lot of this stuff, too. So I think, you know, there's probably a lot of people out there right now who hear even this show and we don't even realize. Uh, OK, in- I always in more private conversations when we get into these ta- talks like this, I always want to know more about you know, where you were, why you changed, what happens. And uh, I don't do it for you to say nice things about me, but what what was it that caught your attention? Uh, mine is a little more, a bit more, more complex. Oh, I, like I narrowed down the monetary issue, but do you remember w- oh, yeah. what it was that, that well, got your I, attention? I voted for Obama in 2008. I had seen uh, a lot of things on the internet. I had a lot of friends. I had, I had heard about you. I had seen the revolution stickers and things like that. Um, I think that was around that time. It's, 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 you know, it's been a long time. But I remember, uh, I remember Barack Obama was supposedly going to be the anti-war guy. That the Bush, the Bush era was completely wrong. People were marching through the streets saying he was Hitler. And then I'm, I'm this young kid, and I'm listening to punk rock music. War is bad. War is wrong. Blah, blah, blah. And I agree. I'm like, I don't understand why, why we keep hearing these stories about civilians being killed. I don't understand. And I research it, and I, and I learn about it. And I start to understand the history and I, I read about, you know, Desert Storm and things like that. I was a lot younger. I read about the Cold War. And then I say, I don't trust the government. <laughs> Barack Obama is supposedly going to be hope and change. And I'm young and naive. And people tell me, you got to understand, he's an insurgent candidate. He's not supposed to be there. It's supposed to be Hillary. She's she's the go- she's the establishment. Vote for Obama. And I'm like, wow, is this really, really the, the change? And you know what? One of the first things Obama does when he gets into office is he bombs a village of women and children with a drone strike, or, or I think it might have been an airstrike or something like that, under the guise of terrorist hunting. And I was like, okay, well, well that's weird. But but maybe maybe that was from the old administration. Like, I'm going to give him a chance. And then he surged our troops in Afghanistan. And then I just got really jaded and angry and was just like, so they lied to me sounds the to whole me, time. Sounds to me like the war issue was a big issue for you. Yeah, absolutely. No. And yeah. of course, then everything you had been saying about the war was, I started asking myself, why is it that... It's this Republican candidate who was preaching against war, who's still preaching against war, who is has now I, I can see as the track record of actually caring about these issues. And then I started to see the hypocrisy in these other liberal and Democrat voters who told me they opposed the war. But the moment Barack Obama got elected, they stopped caring. And I was like, you lied to me. That put a chip on my shoulder and I got deeply offended and distrustful of these people. And not to mention, I never liked Republicans as it was. So what I ended up seeing was more of. I, I've never considered myself like a right-leaning libertarian or a conservative. I remember seeing you give certain speeches where I was like, well, I don't agree with that. But the one thing I always said, and I think the Mises caucus actually quoted me and they made a little graphic was, I thought to myself, you know, this guy Ron Paul is saying, you know, here's what I believe, but you know what? I think the government should leave you all alone. And I thought to myself, well, okay, I can vote for that. He can believe whatever he wants as long as he leaves me alone, right? <laughs> and so that that was a big factor in, you know, I, I would consider myself kind of like a centrist libertarian type, more, you know, like more freedom, less less government, a little bit of government. I'm not an anarchist or anything like that. But I think 
I, I think the the Obama being a liar thing, and it was kind of like they spat on me. They 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 lied to me. They insulted me, and I just don't trust them. And I, I see you consistent. I see, uh, uh, and and I was I was a huge Bernie Sanders supporter in 2015 and 16 for a similar reason. He was more what I thought of as the left wing version of you, anti war, pro worker, all these things. Sure enough, that was another lie. He ends up just catering straight to the establishment the moment they tell him to, makes a million bucks selling a book, and then says, you can be a millionaire if you write a book too. And I'm like, <laughs> was all of that a lie too? I just, I don't, look, I gotta be honest, I just don't like any of these politicians. But you know, you seem to have retired with grace and dignity and remained consistent on all your positions. Then you, you, your, your son is in there uh, doing great work as well. And I'm like, these, 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 these are the only few politicians I actually think have ever, ever meant it. To be honest, did, uh, but, but did they ever try to buy you off? Did they ever try to silence you or stop you? No, they always insulted me. They never came to see me. <laughs> you think that if you'd become... no, the lobbyists didn't come. Did they come to our office <laughs> one time and you kicked them out? <laughs> if, if you, I didn't. You listen to him first. You listen to him first. <laughs> if you'd become president in 08, 2008, do you think that they would have been like, "Here's who you're going to bomb next"? And if you were like, "No," that they would have JFK'd you? Uh, well, that's hard to say, but uh, if if you did more than that, if you really changed things, uh, there'd be a revolution uh, that for some reason, whether they kill you or what, but uh, anybody that supported it, it, it would be done. It's not going to happen. That's why that's why we have to expect the collapse to come in a different way nobody's gonna we can't get enough people in congress to pass pass the right law to really change things it's good that we have there and we have a few more now than we did before you know with the recent election but it's uh it would be catastrophic if you really change it if you you can't close down the fed the fed has to close themselves down yeah you mentioned auditing the fed at the time it was like 2009 or 10 or 11 or something you're talking about auditing the fed and i kept thinking no repeal the federal reserve act of 1913 repeal it but now what you're saying is that would undercut pull the rug yeah, out Yeah, well i want to repeal it i've had bills in to repeal it it's just that uh i had i had a, a lot of democrats sign on to auditing the fed and all the republicans but they wouldn't have uh, i wouldn't have gotten five votes to to, to abolish the fed there's a famous well, video. It was, it was a practical, it became but, pragmatic, but it was also, to me, educational because I was, I was surprised we did that. <laughs> why, why, why won't they vote for auditing the Fed? I, I, what's, what's their, are lobbyists coming at them? Are their lives threatened? Uh, well, because there's that money is being distributed secretly. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's a really a, a big privilege. I think that. Uh, well, where was it I read? I think it was $31 trillion they passed out over COVID, but it's off the books. I mean, they don't, they don't go through Congress, yep. you know, to appropriate this money. It, it is, and they don't want that to be revealed. That's why I said the thing they want to protect the most are the international transactions. Yep. That's it, where they wheel and deal and keep the uh, bank going international settlements. That's probably do a lot of the wheeling and dealing. And with. the bailouts are secret. A lot of the money is being moved around. No one even knows exactly where it's going, who it's going to. I confronted Ben Bernanke about this issue. The guy tried to steal my microphone from me because I was like, where's the money going to? How much money are you giving people and this was all the way back in 2011 but but the good news is the market is more powerful than the politicians and that is why Bretton Woods broke down that's why Henry Hazlitt was right all through the 60s were right and the people said it won't work it won't work and finally it didn't work and that's why the same people are saying 
the dollar is going to get much much weaker and it will lose its reserve stand it's a it's a reserve reserve country credentials what do you think is like a, a cogent move forward to try and bring it into a slow landing soft landing as soft as we can you can't do that uh, uh, but because the time has passed the best example to know what we could have done and should have done is 1921 because it was a very serious depression in 21 and I, I guess uh, Hoover was still in but the Keynesianism hadn't taken over and they just said uh, you didn't bail people out you know it's bad debt liquidate the debt and get it over with so they did nothing and after a little over a year the GDP I think went down like 15 percent and then everybody you know had to go back to scratch and every after that everything was growth you know the markets were growing again and uh, you could have done that and you could do it now but politically it wouldn't be acceptable so start businesses in the in the private sector what if we were going to do it like a soft landing or something it would be like by creating productivity but not waiting for the politicians well that's why the market is important i think that uh, you could you know if you took all of the dumb economic things that biden has done especially in energy blowing up pipelines and, you know doing all that nonsense and more regulation if you remove that that would be helpful that would increase productivity and lower prices but uh but the the debt is too big that is going to haunt us and uh, people worry rightfully so that, that this, the debt will be liquidated uh, and uh, they, they are going to default but the default comes because the debt is shrinking right now because of the money is worth so little yeah. and they, they they can't quit doing that you know they even talk about you know raising interest rates right now each day if they go if they say one word to hint that well interest rates are going to go up a little bit you know the market's got out a trillion dollars it's just crazy all so right it's, it's beyond repair we're going to go to super chats so if you haven't already would you kindly smash that like button subscribe to this channel share the show with your friends and become a member at timcast.com head over to timcast.com click join us Become a member because we're going to have an uncensored members only show coming up at about 10, 10 p.m. Eastern time where we're even going to take audience questions. And I, I, I believe in this segment, we'll try and focus on cultural issues that are currently happening today, which I really want to ask about, especially in a medical context. I think some of you may understand where I'm going with that. So we'll save that one for the not so family friendly after show. And uh, in the meantime, let's read your super chats. So we have this one from Raymond G. Stanley Jr. He says, Ron, sir, thanks for coming. I literally just left my first Libertarian Party regional meeting thanks to Decord. These folks are legit. Four are running for local office. Others doing work. I was quite impressed, sir. You're about to get up? Or you uh, in the bathroom? Was that a question directed? No, just, that just I didn't hear. <laughs> someone was just saying that they, uh, uh, one, of our, one of our audience members saying that uh, the Libertarian Party is legit and uh, they thank you for coming. Oh yeah, if you got to if you got to go to the bathroom, go for it. Tell me what the schedule is like. Are we? We got about thirty minutes. We're gonna do super chats with so, the audience. So, okay. Audience but, questions. I'm, I'm going. Yeah, yeah. Hop on out. Nope, no problem. We'll read. We'll read some super chats and uh, do your thing. All right. Chris O says Ron Paul is the most principled, inspirational political figure of my lifetime. Thank you for everything, Doctor Paul, and thanks to Tim for having him on. Uh, I think thank you to Doctor Paul and uh, Daniel for coming. 
I mean, this is a, a it's an honor and a privilege. One thing I wanted to add too, just just in this context, when uh, Dr. Paul asked me about like what mattered to me, is I want to stress that I was very much in the generic pro-choice camp when I was younger, and then I heard Dr. Paul talk about life beginning at conception, explaining it and giving his reasoning, and that changed my view. I wouldn't say that I became pro-life or anything like that, but I immediately was like, interesting. I understand now what he's saying in terms of the pro-life context, life beginning at conception. He's a doctor, he would know. I respect that argument, and it changed my views, and it pulled me back closer. I, w I would say when I was younger, it was very much like, who cares, abort the baby, like what, you know, punk rock, and then I was kind of like, we should probably have some limitations on this thing, and so it definitely made me, because when I was younger, I was probably far left, you know, anarcho-leftist, whatever that means. And then as I got older, I became more centrist libertarian type. And I think Ron Paul played a role in that for sure. Yeah. Well, he tells a powerful story when he first started. He was in residency and he would tell it better than I would. But just as an example, that there was an abortion that survived uh, and the baby was lying in the corner of the room and everyone just was pretending that it wasn't there as the baby gasped for air because yeah. the point was that that baby was supposed to be aborted. And he didn't have a real strong view necessarily until that experience and i think it really and it was i think in the one book that he wrote about abortion it really affected him so if you're against violence that literally is an act of violence you know yeah and, and personally i i just never liked the government i don't know about you guys but uh never <laughs> saw them as the government solution. everyone's calling you uh, daniel mcbased in the comments by the uh -oh. way <laughs> all right uh kite the twin blade says it's happening it is indeed. It is indeed happening. Yeah, everyone's mentioning the meme. Yeah. So, Liam McCollum says, Dave Smith 2024, so Ron Paul can be the last Federal Reserve chairman ever. <laughs> would, you, would you accept uh, a chairmanship at the Federal Reserve uh, if you are nominated? Well, you know, that's about the last thing that would ever happen. Uh, well, so. Would I accept? Yeah, as long as they knew my rules, my my first goal would be to uh, close shop. <laughs> well, that, that's the point. Are you familiar with Dave Smith? Dave you, Smith, yeah. Oh. You want to grab the mic? Yeah. He, oh, yeah, grab the mic, too, if you're, when you're talking to him. Oh, the mic. okay. Yeah, yeah. The, the super chat was about Dave Smith. I thought Dave you were Smith. tired listening to me. Oh, no, no, never. <laughs> about uh, Dave Smith becoming president and nominating you for the Federal Reserve chair? Yeah, are, do, do you know Dave Smith? Yeah. He, he may, be the, may be the 2024 Libertarian candidate. I, I'd hope so. I know we'll see. But uh, someone asked if he wins, would you accept an, a, an appointment to the chair to chair the Federal Reserve? Oh, I I would, but it wouldn't be living in the practical world. <laughs> it would be shutting it down. Yeah, <laughs> I think we can accept that. Oh. All right, Grim Metal says you woke me up in 2007, Doctor Paul. Thank you so much. My entire metals business that is thriving is all because of you. Hmm. Look at that. All right. What do we have here? Frump says, as an older millennial, I voted for you, wrote you in, and adored your view on what we can be. I appreciate Rand and his views. He's a solid guy. Please stay with us. We need another 23 plus years. <laughs> well, all right. Cloud Roth says, Ron Paul makes me proud to be an American. Man, it, it, it is. I, I think I mentioned this before, but uh, as you were talking about you know, you maybe say something to 10 people, but then it, you know, as the time goes on, those ideas ripple outward. May, I, I don't know if, if you're aware of just how many millions or even tens of millions of people are where they are politically, economically, 
because of what of the work you did and how how, how profound that was for so many people. No, but uh, that might be exaggerated a little bit. <laughs> but but we don't know that we. Uh, and I, I'm fascinated with the concept of the remnant. <laughs> and uh, I, I would say that the people that are in this meeting here tonight pretty look like much like they're dealing with retaining and maintaining the beliefs in liberty and you become a remnant. And uh, I've heard uh, a little bit of disagreement, but I heard people in this room that wanted to just hear the plain truth of things well, and yeah. then that's to me the wonderful thing and so you don't know we don't know uh well you might know you have the numbers how many people listen but you don't know how many people they talk to the next day so that's what that's what's so miraculous about it and i i think it's wonderful somebody somebody asked me one time that you know after having been up there how did you ever put up with it you know, it's so disgusting. And uh, I said, well, I'll tell you what, it never bothered me because, you know, obviously my goal was not to be, you know, come a congressman or the chairman of the Federal Reserve. I said, uh, so I just, you know, I did what I thought I could do and in my own way. Uh, but, you know, I had low expectations. And so I tolerated it quite well. Gormal <laughs> says, thank you, Dr. Paul, for everything you've done and raising a remarkable son. I would love to hear your opinion on national divorce. National divorce, and this is this is a separate the good guys from the bad guys, huh? Well, uh, I I don't know, you know exactly what all the details would be. All I want is freedom of choice. And right now, the founders are rather astute in providing for us a way to that we can uh, move around. And uh, if you didn't like one state, you can move around. But uh, no, I'd like uh, I'd like the unit of government always to be permitted. And uh, I think the most important unit of government that we should have is the individual. Self-government is what we need. And then the person is totally responsible for everything he or she does. Does, and you have to accept the consequence. But uh, I think the other principle in, in this that you have to look for is the principle of private property rights, owning property. If you know that it's your property and they're not supposed to mess with it, that uh, and, and if you're not allowed to mess with your neighbor's property, then we have to accept the expansion of that, which we don't do very often in Washington, is that uh, that that if you can't do it, if you can't steal from your neighbor, you're not allowed to send the government there. You call the congressman. I'll get that from him. He has too much stuff. So we'll get it. So those the couple principles would. Uh, so just the, the, those principles aren't complex. And I think a lot of people yeah, that makes sense. I always, the, the compliment I like the best is this, why I like to listen to it. It makes common sense. That, that's good. <laughs> you know, if it is, it's not too complex and, uh, and, and the, the direction we go in. Otherwise, if you want to uh, get, get the Keynesian uh, uh, mathematical formula and say, well, if we do ABC, you can get this and we can, you know, all that nonsense. They go, no, that, that doesn't work. That'll put you to sleep for sure. A, uh, what do we have here? A free thinking dog says, how do we get libertarians and conservatives to align today? Together, we would be unbeatable, but we need to get libertarians back to some sanity. I would say the opposite of that. We need to get the, the other party back to some sanity and stop trying to bomb people. I think the Bush years had tremendous damage to the Republican Party and the conservative party, especially with all the wars that they have started. They had the seat at the table. They had the Congress. They had the Senate. They had the Supreme Court. They had everything. And, and they decided to go with 
pointless wars. Why, why would people trust that? They don't trust that. And this is what caused Obama to be as powerful as it is. This is what caused the kind of woke moment to be where it is right now, a direct pushback against the conservatives sitting at the table. And then uh, I would, you know, frankly say pooping all over it. I thought your work was an example of bridging the gap between libertarianism and the Republican Party. Do you see, do you see, well, one, I guess, do you see a lot of like cohesiveness between the two or, or would you like to? Oh, I would like to, but I'm not sure it's going to be uh, all of a sudden the uh, Reformation and the Republicans changing their tune. Because right now, the thing that's fascinated me about bringing people together is the fact that the uh, I'm disappointed that the traditional progressive Democrat uh, that was an ally when I was in Congress. We've, you know, the Dennis Kucinich's, we'd work together and try to make the point of the stupidity of the wars in the Middle East. And I got more support from Democrats because Bush was in there. So it was political. It was short-sighted. So that uh, that is... Uh, you know, one thing that we, we, we could do is, uh, you know, if, if, the, if the progressives are moving away, they're, but they're acting more like uh, hawks. You know, they, they're joining the Republican hawks. But at the same time, the Republicans are improving. Now they have a little group up there that, uh, you know, got together with a remnant of the uh, progressive Democrats. And uh, they were able to persuade people that it's time we have to think about no more money to Ukraine. You know, so that's Absolutely. a start. The We'd, problem there is our practical problem, Daniel, I have to deal with. Yeah, that's all good. But so often when we find somebody, oh, yeah, they want to do this and we're, we're doing too much there. What they want to do is for you to build up the hatred toward China. Okay. Oh, we'd rather fight China. That, we did that, it that wears me out. Yeah, <laughs> we did an episode of the Ron Paul Liberty Report. I think it was uh, last week about this. There was a political story about how uh, Speaker McCarthy is getting very nervous because he's got a breakaway group of Republicans who are willing to get together with progressives who are breaking away from their party. And the, th the reason why it's important is because there's a lot of leverage there. McCarthy can only afford to lose four votes on anything. So if you've got 10 people, we saw all the people that were holding up his uh, taking the chair. If you've got 10 or 15 people, or, you know, and they will line up with three or four on the progressive side, you will literally have a third party in Congress right now that has enormous stopping power. And, you know, it's, it's our sincere hope that they realize the power they have. One of the things that they coalesced on is ending the authorization for the Iraq war. And that's an easy one. So start with the easy things like that and realize how much power a group of 10 people can have in this kind of a close Congress. I mean, that's one of the few areas, I think, for optimism. Jim O'Brien says, what are the pronouns on the black shirt? Told you so. Oh, those are good. Those are good ones. Yeah. That's, that's on my shirt saying that I uh, ident identify as a conspiracy theorist. So. Oh, okay. <laughs> Infernal Saxon says, could a state government audit the Fed? State government? Yeah. Well, so the state Florida. governments are, are doing good jobs. They've gotten together. I have visited some of their legislative bodies. And it's neat because they're, take, they're taking the Constitution literally and they're saying only the uh, only legal tender the states are allowed to use is gold and silver. So they're strictly, they don't have to ask the federal government about this. They're just and, and it's, it's really pretty neat. It's a good teaching device. Uh, we're not going to have magic and change it, but this is the kind of thing that I think 
gets people's attention. They start. Somebody might say, "I wonder why the founders put that in there. How would we have a Federal Reserve?" Well, maybe we don't need a Federal Reserve. So, but you know, there's about six states or so that uh, have worked on this, and I'd like to see the states really move in that direction. So, uh, we encourage that a whole lot to. Uh, to uh, you know, to uh, argue the case for the states to do something. Right on. Heron Gaming News says one thing is clear: I'm bringing marshmallows and toasting them over the dumpster fire the establishment gave us. Luke is a statist. I missed you, Luke. How dare you call me that? <laughs> if, that's, if there's one offensive thing you can call me, it is that. I am highly offended, triggered. I, I, statist? Seriously? <laughs> <laughs> All right. Let's see. Winston Alexander says, Ian, AI drones to pacify the military-industrial complex, WTF? Why not direct the military-industrial complex into something productive like space stations or spaceships? I'm down to do that, too. So what I would want to do is build drone swarms and then put onboard artificial intelligence on the drone swarms, but don't give the swarms weapons. Just give them, like, sensor targeting things so they can swarm us, point, target our weaknesses, and then give us what we did wrong well, and tell us how to get better at destroying why? But, 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 Because just... drone swarms is the next stage of war. But and and that Ian's right. There's videos talking about drone the the drone swarm develop drone swarm developments they've been working on in warfare where they can unleash like 100,000 drones that can just they don't need a nuke they just get these drones to all crash into a city in perfect synchronicity targeting the key point it's crazy precision but I would argue maybe we just get government contracts for assembly drones. Where the drones in outer space build things. Yeah. yeah. That'd be cool. Yeah, you can have like 100 trillion drones in space all working in synergy to build. Size almost becomes irrelevant when you're building in space. You'll be able to build planetary-sized Dyson things. spheres. Yeah. Just build a Dyson sphere. Space exploration. Can we do a little bit of that, maybe? Yeah, yes. I'm down for yeah, that. That, that sounds a lot well, better uh, uh, than bombing and killing people. Yes, Starship's mm -hmm. launching soon. Elon Musk's Starship. So Let's I, get him I, on the show. He's in Austin, sure. isn't he? Uh, I, is he? I, I might DM him. Yeah, hit him up. <laughs> hit him up. Tell him to come on the show. We'll talk about Twitter. All right, let's grab some more. Heron Gaming News says, Luke, can anarchy save us or will the feds be benevolent rulers? Um, I don't have a, you know, I don't have a, you remember that? Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> I, I can't predict the future, but I know if people follow the principles of the non-aggression principle and voluntarianism and become personally responsible for themselves, no matter what happens, they will be ready for whatever comes and more prepared for it and a lot in, in, a, in a lot better situation than if they weren't. So I, I think those two ideas that you guys represent so well and speak about for so many years are critical at this juncture where things are very crazy. They're only going to get a lot crazier from here. And more than ever, we need to take care of ourselves and our communities. And I think if we go along those lines, uh, we're going to be ready for whatever comes next. Wow. Um, Hequibus says, Tim, eggs are 10 bucks for a dozen in California. <laughs> Meanwhile, at the castle, we've got like 200 eggs. It's in because we have we have chickens. We have like 30 of them. So we get, you know, we're getting like 27 eggs per day. Some ridiculous number. Do you have a farm, Ron? Not really. I have a couple of acres. I was raised in a, in a way, a chicken farm and a dairy. And I uh, decided that I wouldn't raise chickens at this particular time. Have a couple cows, but I have a nice 
Oh, nice place. And, and once again, it's back to my so-called optimism that I just haven't run into a lot of ugly people. <laughs> I mean, as I know they're out there and I suffer their consequences, but uh, no, um, we're, our family feels very fortunate that uh, we've been, I've been able to practice medicine and uh, we have few problems and it's been rather nice, but, you but I'm would, not a farmer. <laughs> you, you would agree though that chickens are pretty cool. I don't know. I think they're sometimes pretty dirty. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they're nasty little poopers. But 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 I I think chickens are great. Can't so. beat the eggs, man. Fresh <laughs> fresh eggs for breakfast, man. It's, oof. And we had a garden, so we would pluck the cherry tomatoes. I'd grab some zucchini, and then I'd make my own breakfast right yeah, there. For my you own know, garden. Barry Rothbard used to say, "Well, he says he believes in the division of labor, and I do too. So you raise the chickens, and I'm going to save my silver dollars." And my oh, gold go. coins, and so I can buy some eggs from you. <laughs> All right, let's see. What do we got? Callum Dimmick says you should talk about the similarities between the Tennessee legislature bringing back the senators uh, they kicked out with the caning of Senator Sum- uh, Summer right before the first American Civil War, i.e. hit him again. Well, I don't think it's the same thing. I mean, the, the pre-Civil War caning was merciless brutality, which left the guy permanently disabled, um, depending on who you ask, I suppose. And what we have now is a guy threw a hot coffee, uh, was arrested for throwing hot coffee uh, three year, four years ago, and then was permanently banned from the Capitol, later got elected as a Democrat and brought into the Capitol. Then he joined the protesters to storm the Capitol, so he got kicked out, and then got reinstated by Democrats to go back to the Capitol just recently. So I wouldn't call it a caning. There are similarities in that there's a division between both sides, but... I don't know. When was the last time there was a, an expulsion in this matter? It's been a long time, I'm pretty sure. Trafficant. What is that? Probably trafficant in the U.S. House. When, James when Trafficant, Congressman. Yeah, when, when, when was uh, that? I was there at the time. So. 05, 06. Wow. What brought that about? His story, <laughs> Congressman Trafficant, Trafficant story is uh, crazy. Extraordinary. Yeah, extraordinary. extraordinary is, is absolutely wondered. If you don't know about that man, I interviewed him. Elevator pitch? Uh, I interviewed him before. And I'm still shocked. Yeah, what happened? Do you want to take this, Daniel? Well, you probably know the details better than I do, but it seems like he was JFK, too. Yeah. (laughs) Big time. What was he trying? I remember going to the House floor for him. Yeah, you were the only, you were, everyone voted no. I mean, everyone voted to expel. Um, Lauderette voted not to expel, and you voted present because you objected to the entire process. It was ugly. Garbage. It was ugly. It was just like an emotional thing. People are trying. What were they throwing him out for? Uh, they claimed that he had some staffers paint his boat. Really? But what they were really throwing him out for is because he, he, he showed that the emperor had no clothes, that the whole system, you know, he was famous for going down to the floor and give one minute speeches that he ended with, beam me up, Scotty, you know. And so he, he had. <laughs> He's really a deep guy. <laughs> yeah. he, he had contempt and disdain for all the hypocrisy in Washington. And, and, and he, he, never, he never sat with the Democrats. No. <laughs> And wow. he passed away from an accident. Uh, yeah. again. Tractor accident. Tractor yeah. accident. <clears throat> he was uh, independent. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Independent. Uh, I, I, you can see my interview with him on We Are Change. Maybe you'll be able to find it if you look up James Trafficant, We Are Change. But uh, crazy uh-huh. story. All right. Ronwell Nagales says, nice meeting you in person. Thanks for taking a picture with me and signed my book last February. I had a child, I had a child star who I'm a huge fan of. Gave me the confidence I need to meet you. You're my hero, and I would have voted for you for president in 2012. That's very nice. Yeah. 
All right. They, they Eddie says in 07, when I was 17 and scared ishless by Alex Jones's endgame, Dr. Paul was the only politician we were told we could trust. I supported his family only until Trump. Still very grateful for Paul's. Yeah, I love Rand, man. You guys are so different, but it almost like freaks me out that you're related. I love it. Like I want to <laughs> see you together talking. Just like, yeah, I think he does a very good job. And, and I'm pretty critical of myself. So sometimes I sit there and I say, he's better than I am at this stuff here. <laughs> he gives a good speech. Yeah. He's very, very knowledgeable on the COVID business. The, the <laughs> confrontation with Fauci is something for the history books. <laughs> yeah. Uh, here's a good one. Anwar Abu Baker says there's a Ron Paul revolution billboard still on the highway between Nevada and California from Dr. Paul's last presidential campaign. Wow. Who sees it when they're leaving California or going to California? <laughs> yeah, that's a good question. <laughs> maybe when they're leaving and then they can think about it. Maybe they're leaving for a reason, you know. Or maybe they should see it before they get there, to be honest. Yeah. Turn around. All right. What do we got here? Phil H. says libertarians have gained a lot of ground with Republicans. Can the same be done with Democrats or are they too far gone? Well, my, my view is that Democrats believe incorrect things too much. There are certainly conservatives who believe in correct things. But for the most part, when when I have a conversation with somebody as it pertains to Ukraine or economics or anything, they're just like, I don't know. What they know is what the New York Times just said last night. And that's probably why they don't like coming on shows like this, where we will pull up all of the stories and they'll have to confront those issues. They don't <laughs> want to do it. So, all right. Let's see. Let's grab, uh, we'll grab a couple more. Where are we at? Corn Pop says, Graph Ian, Bud Light, Graph Ian, make the shirts, Luke. I don't know. I don't know if that one will, will do well. I don't know if Luke could make a shirt for Ian, a graph I, Ian shirt. You have I my, think that's a Ian my, shirt. You know, my blessing. Ian You're shirt. welcome to, but I, I'll do it. We'll donate it to the Graphene Fund. I don't understand the, the shirt that he's saying, though. Graphene, Bud Light, Graphene. I don't know. Yeah. All right. Frump says, Ron superseding Ian in the 20 throws. Luke, stop throwing 20s. Yeah. Well, all right. That's a dungeon. You ever played Dungeons and Dragons? The, the, the what? Have you played Dungeons and Dragons, the board game? You roll no. dice to do things in the game. Uh, yeah. And if you roll a 20, that means you get a critical success. So this guy said you got no. more critical success. I'm not, I'm not into those kind of games. You're not a gamer? <laughs> I play, I go to Congress instead. Yeah. Play games over there. <laughs> yes. All right. Kite the Twin Blade says, Dr. Paul, thank you for being you. You turned me from a rabid neocon in 2007 in, into a right libertarian. I found real nonviolent solutions when none were offered by the Republicans. I, I completely agree. I think that's that's absolutely how uh, at least a lot of people I know felt. Uh, it is fascinating to hear now we have Republicans come on the show and Luke will say something like, we've been warning you about the FBI and the ATF and the CIA, and the intelligence agencies for a decade. And then you'll get these prominent conservatives going, yeah, you were right the whole time we screwed up. And that's an amazing thing to see. I think it's great. Yeah. Who knew destroying the Constitution was a bad idea? Who knew destroying people's civil liberties and freedom of speech and the Fourth Amendment and, and, and on and on and on was a bad idea? A lot of people saw it. You warned people about 40 years ago. There's a video of you 40 years ago warning about the FBI. It's going viral right now all over Twitter. Glenn Greenwald just tweeted it out. Uh, but I've been seeing that video for a very long time. You warning us about the FBI and you were absolutely right on the money and the situation we 
we're in now is just absurd. <laughs> For sure. All right, everybody, if you have not already, would you kindly smash that like button, subscribe to this channel, share the show with your friends if you think it's really good, and head over to TimCast.com, click join us to become a member. We're going to have a members-only uncensored show up in about 10 minutes on the front page where we'll get into more cultural issues and some medical components of cultural issues. So you won't want to miss it. And we'll even take calls from our members. So again, TimCast.com, you can follow the show at TimCastIRL on Instagram and I think Facebook too. You can follow me personally at TimCast. Uh, Dr. Paul and Daniel, do you guys want to shout anything out? Just invite people to watch the Ron Paul Liberty Report. We're (laughs) live at Rumble noon every Monday through Friday. And the Ron Paul Institute is ronpaulinstitute.org. Is that noon Eastern? Uh, That's noon Eastern time, yes. What's the Rumble uh, channel again? What's the URL? Ron Paul Liberty Report. Daniel McBased and Dr. No. Thank you so much for for coming on the show and talking about the non-aggression principle. Really appreciate everything you guys have to do and everything you guys are doing. Uh, So thank you so much. If you guys want to check out my channel, it is youtube.com forward slash we are change. I do a lot of videos. There's many years of of a lot of interviews, interviews with Dr. Paul, interviews with James Trafficant, a lot of interesting people, youtube.com forward slash we are change. And I'm doing an in real life meetup this Thursday, 3.30 p.m. Austin, you could find out about that by being a member of LukeUncensored.com. LukeUncensored.com. See you there. Mm-hmm. You said Luke Unfiltered yesterday? There's two websites oh, now. Okay. Oh, okay. No. I'm testing like, them out. I'm seeing which one works better. Oh, LukeUnfiltered.com, LukeUncensored.com. Both of them work. Oh, I'm Ian Crossland. Ron, anything? Uh, thanks for coming, brother. Anything you think? Well, about? I, I would just make a point that I make frequently is a lot of times after a speech or a meeting, people will come up and thank me for being a big help and encouragement and what they were doing. But I have I have to admit that I come for selfish reasons, because when I meet people like you who are interested in what I'm in and you, you know, generally agreed with me, <laughs> that's, that's an encouragement. So I leave with uh, a positive attitude and that it's uh, that I benefit as much as you might tell me you benefit. So that 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 is what I think is beneficial. And the neat thing about all this is is the whole idea of the remnant is so fascinating that I don't know how long you've been on the air and all, but you, you probably have influenced a lot of people. And it sounds to me like, gee, I sort of agree with those guys up there. They have a good message. I wonder where they got that. <laughs> exactly. But it was a delight. Thanks for having me here. Absolutely. All right, everybody. We uh, Serge is also pressing the buttons. He doesn't have a camera, though, but shout out to Serge. Yeah, I'm still here. <laughs> all right. We'll see you all over at TimCast.com in a few minutes. Thanks for hanging out.